When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let me tell you all something about Anchor. If you ever want to start your own podcast or create your own podcast, Anchor makes it really easy. First of all, it's absolutely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more popular platforms. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All gas, no brakes. And now we have liftoff. Welcome into the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast. And of course, I am your host, John June. And of course, got my guy, Frank Jim Piccolo. Frank, what is good? Yo, yo, yo. How we feeling, John? Hey, man. It's a, it's a Saturday morning. It's a fabulous Saturday morning. And it's a very good Saturday morning considering some of the things that have transpired in Florham Park recently. Um, but as uh, we, you know, we're getting ready to, to head into this episode, episode 10, Frank, would you believe that 10 episodes already of the now we have liftoff New York Jets podcast? How does that make you feel, Frank? I'm just blessed. We're having a ball doing this. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, just two two lifelong Jet fans, two friends, man, and just get to kick it on here and just talk football, talk about our favorite team, just like we're on the phone or something. But instead, we just get to hit record. And so we feel blessed and honored to have people that even want to hit play on this, you know, every other week. And, you know, as we transition into the season, we'll be going to to once a week. So we'll be a weekly show in season, um, breaking down the games, the previous game, the next game, so on and so forth, tracking the season as it goes on. But Right now, continuing to come at you guys two times a week or one time every two weeks. Um, maybe one day we'll get to two times a week, but right now, once every two weeks. And, um, you know, we just really, really appreciate the love, really appreciate the support that we've received thus far. And we're hoping right now we have liftoff. We're hoping that the Jets take this thing to another place so that we can have more fun doing this, man. But like you said, having a blast thus far. And so... Episode 10, very special episode, but what we're, what, you, what you should expect today, we will get into the news first off, obviously some big news that happened yesterday, uh, then obviously we're going to, if you haven't been, uh, if you weren't with us last week, we covered quarterbacks, running backs, you know, uh, you know, positional breakdowns of who we would think would be the leaders in, in certain stat categories and starters and things of that nature. So you definitely want to go back and listen to that if you haven't. But this week we're covering wide receivers in the tight end position, focusing on those pass catchers, trying to figure out what kind of uh, what to expect from some of these guys and who are going to be the the uh, certain stat leaders. And then last but not least, we will break down some of our biggest takeaways from flight from uh, the Jets flight plan 2021 docu-series that they released it was a four-episode docu-series, uh, so obviously, if you're a Jets fan, you definitely want to check that out. We definitely checked it out, and we definitely have some some thoughts that we would like to share with all y'all today. But Frank, man, got to jump off with the headline 
of the weekend, and that is the Jets agreeing to a one-year deal with former Washington football team right tackle Morgan Moses signs a, I think it was a three and a half million dollar deal that can get to high as 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 high as five five million dollars uh, on some playing time incentives. So, Frank, what is your excitement level right now for Morgan Moses coming in to potentially be what well, we presumably be the right starter here, the right the starter here on the right side of this this Jets offensive line that's been much improved over the last year and a half. Man, I'm so amped for this. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in our last podcast about maybe him sliding into right guard and Fant staying at left tackle um, or left guard rather. But regardless, this is a huge signing. Right. It's an up. Oh, did said I, I said you said left uh, guard. <laughs> it's all good. Bro. Yeah, we all... thought. Anyways, uh, if he plays guard or if he plays tackle, it's a huge upgrade. Um, we're not going to have a Doga anymore as that swing tackle. If he if he plays right tackle, we'll have Fant, which is a huge upgrade with Becton with his injury history and not being able to stay healthy. Yeah, no, totally agree, man. This is a, a huge investment that you're making in your rookie quarterback and Zach Wilson. You are making the effort to upgrade the offensive line. Look, it's the aggregation of these marginal gains, right? Little increments in this roster can take this this team from a potentially a seven to eight win team to now a nine or a ten win team, right? Just because of these little these little upgrades that you're making, even if they don't seem like the biggest thing to make. But you get a guy, Morgan Moses, who has experience playing within this the Shanahan like offense, right? From his, his uh, experience and his days in Washington. And now he's coming in he already pretty much knows this scheme is going to step in at right tackle. I mean, like we said, would love to see Morgan Moses slide in at right guard. Cause you know, that right guard spots immediately going to get better, but either way, Morgan Moses is an upgrade over, over George Fant and George Fant is an upgrade as a swing tackle over Chuma Doga, and so you're going to get even if Becton is like like you said he's dealing with these injuries even if he has to miss some playing time which like like we talked about even earlier off the air Becton has you know he's been dealing even through his young career has been dealing with injuries and having the inability to stay on the field so George Fant is a much more competent backup left tackle and a much more competent right backup right tackle than Chuma Doga. So definitely upgrade here. Uh, now, I just would love to see them shore up this right guard spot. I mean, you and I talked about David DeCastro yesterday, who he was released from the Pittsburgh Steelers, is contemplating retirement, but we saw Joe Douglas pull Ryan Khalil out of retirement. That didn't really work. We saw him try to pull Kyle Long out of retirement, apparently. Uh, didn't get him. I think Carl Long and Kyle Long ends up signing with the Chiefs, but if he can have a conversation here with David DeCastro and get, get him to come over here and be the right guard, how would you feel about that one, Frank? I'm not too sure. Like, I I really like DeCastro, and I think he's a really good football player. You know, he's a former Pro Bowl player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I really want to see what, what we have in Camp Clark. Like, Camp Clark, to me, when we drafted him last year, was the guy that I eyed and said, he looks he looks like a guard. He plays like a guard. I just don't know if he how he fits into this new scheme compared to whatever scheme Adam Gase was running last year. Yeah, I think um, I think you're you're totally right, right. I want to see what what we have in Cam Clark. There's also the possibility, right? Like they didn't sign Ryan Khalil until I think the the second week of training camp or something like that, right? So. What if they get to train? They could possibly get to training camp, see how, um, you know, see how a guy like Cam Clark and Greg Van Roten and um, Alex Lewis, how that trio of guys is doing. And if those guys aren't performing up to snuff, maybe you go see if you can convince a guy like David DeCastro. You maybe see if he if those juices are flowing again. If he's missing football as you get a little bit closer to the season. Um, and see how that goes. But I think this upgraded offensive line, Frank, has definitely put the Jets in a position 
like we were talking about earlier, we talked, then you know, referenced it and talked about it a little bit off air, where they could potentially get over this nine-win mark, right? I think that that's definitely in the range of outcomes here when you add a guy like Morgan Moses to this offensive line and you make it that much better because, you know, George Fant was definitely a, a better fit in this offense, but he was never going to be the mauler that you would really want on the right side of your offensive line, where now the Jets went from being this team where you're, you are 100%, not 100% sure, but you were pretty confident they were going to run to the left side with guys like, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker and Makai Becton on that side. But now you got a guy like Morgan Moses on the right who can really clean up, do some cleanup work as a run blocker. And now you could really, you know, become a little bit ambidextrous with this run game. Frank, what are your thoughts on the overall, the overall, um, I guess, potential in, increase in, in win production that Morgan Moses could potentially add and, you know, what he does for this offensive line. I think he gives the Jets like two to three more wins when you just talked about the mauler that Moses is. He's a mountain of a man. He's almost as big as Becton. So you can't just key on that left side anymore. And when you think about it, the Jets are going to have three out of the five offensive linemen that love finishing those blocks off. And I think that's key, right? Offensive linemen that want to put the defenders on their back. Like that's something that you can't teach an offensive lineman that has to come natural for them where they want to finish those blocks off. They want to impose their dominance on the defensive players that they're playing those one-on-ones against. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, Morgan Moses, like you alluded to, Almost the same size as Becton, 6'6", 335 pounds. I mean, Becton's pushing 380, but uh, Morgan Moses is a, is a is a big man himself. And so I think the his addition definitely is, is going to be uh, good for the, for the New York Jets here. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, according to PFF last year, Morgan Moses had an 85.9 run blocking grade. Um, pretty highly rated that way by by the um, by PFF, and so again, I think this is going to be a huge addition for the Jets, huge addition for their offensive line, and um, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm definitely excited. Uh, let's let's move on, man. Let's start talking about these wide receivers and these tight ends, man. These pass catchers, and so got to start off with the guy who is. Uh, the most, I guess, making the most money on this team. Uh, he's, you know, so he's wide receiver one that way. Probably also wide receiver one if you look at who's going to be the lead player in terms of targets. But that is Corey Davis, the uh, fifth year veteran. You know, fifth a former first round pick, the fifth overall pick by the Tennessee Titans out of Western Michigan. And when he was coming out, man, Corey Davis. I mean, I remember him getting comped to like Terrell Owens uh, for his big, the, the, he was a big bodied receiver that could move well. And that was a little, uh, you know, a little demon after the catch in, in terms of his physicality, um, you know, had a had a breakout season last year in Tennessee, coming off a season where he had 65 catches for 984 yards and five touchdowns, averaging just over 15 yards a catch. Frank, what are your thoughts on how Corey Davis fits into this offense now that we we know who the quarterback is and we know we have more idea of how this offense is going to work and and some of these pieces around him? How do you see Corey Davis fitting in here? I think it, I think it's a great fit. You know, the Jets are going to run the ball. They're going to use that play action. You know, uh, Corey Davis has a familiarity with this offense coming from Tennessee. Uh, I think he's going to have a big year. You know, he had to deal with A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, taking a lot of the uh, the target shares away from him. So I think he could have a really Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker type uh, type season for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's – I think that's in the range of outcomes for Corey Davis. I just think there's too many mouths to feed for somebody to have that kind of offense, right, because you got – you got – Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, you know, the running backs will be involved. The tight ends will be involved a little bit. So I think that Jets team, they had just Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, those guys 
we're seeing 50% of the targets here. Um, I think, I mean, from a Corey Davis, probably going to see maybe 90 to 100 targets, could get somewhere between 900 to 1,000 yards receiving. Um, so, I mean, he'll definitely lead the team in targets. He'll definitely lead the team in yards. Question will be who leads the team in touchdowns. Could be him, maybe not. But, um, you know, I think he it's a really good fit for Corey. I mean, for Corey Davis playing in this offense, like you talked about, has familiarity coming from Tennessee in that wide zone run scheme. He's a really physical blocker on the outside. And I think that that married with the play action game, you kind of see, I mean, Mike, I mean, you know, getting ahead of myself a little bit, but Michael Floor talked about it in the in the flight plan series, how you've got a receiver who's going to go in there and dig out safeties and linebackers in the run game and how that really marries into like when he's going to go play action and he's running these dig routes, right? Like you can almost see it, like it it it, it just looks the same. And so I think that's going to be huge in this offense, especially when you look at how the Shanahan offense is run, especially how Kyle runs it in San Francisco everything is made to look the same. And so that completely messes with the defense. And I think Corey Davis being the willing blocker that he is, is definitely a, a you know phenomenal fit for this offense. I couldn't agree more. I'm excited to see what he can do with uh, the type of play caller that LaFleur is, or we hope he is going to be. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, one piece of news that we didn't cover, but we can cover it right now because we're talking about the wide receivers, is Jamison Crowder, right? Jamison Crowder was long talked about that he was he was the Jets were trying to get him to take a pay cut. Um, obviously, no player wants to take a pay cut, um, but Jamison Crowder was offered a one year deal at five million dollars guaranteed. So you know, from the Jets' perspective, they kind of had all the leverage here because. None of Jamison Crowder's $10 million salary was guaranteed. So the Jets could have cut him and he would have seen none of it. Um, and, you know, there was a huge possibility that Jamison Crowder wasn't going to get more than $5 million from another team had the Jets cut him. So, hey, why not save that, you know, stay in the same organization. You don't have to move. You don't have to, you know, do all these other things. You just get $5 million guaranteed. And you and you you stay with the Jets and you hit free agency next year. Um, but what are your expectations, Frank, for Jamison Crowder and kind of how he fits into this offense? I'm not too sure. Like I go back and forth on what the Jets should do with Crowder. Me personally, I'm very high on Braxton Berrios, um, and I feel like he could do the same things that Jamison Crowder can do, just not to the Jamison Crowder level. So maybe midseason the Jets decide to trade Crowder for a fourth or a fifth. You know, the Jets have a loaded wide receiver room right now with Keelan Cole, Denzel Mims, uh, your fiance, Elijah Moore. So I, I don't know what what they uh, end up doing, you know, with Crowder. But if he does stay on the field, he just doesn't drop the ball. He's Mr. Reliable, kind of like Kotri was way back in the day for the Jets. Frank getting his little digs in early, I see. Um, <laughs> no, but Jamison Crowder, man, you, like like you said, he, he's a respectable receiver. He's reliable. Um, it's just hard to see how he fits into this this offense because the Jets have, for one time, they have, for once, they have more exciting players to throw the football to than Jamison Crowder. And so... You know, really curious to see how that plays out, especially when you look at Crowder and how he's used. He's kind of like a one-trick pony, and and a lot of these receivers in you know that they have are a little bit more versatile. You know, you touched on Keelan Cole, who's versatile. Braxton Berrios, who's a slot receiver only, right? Doesn't like you said, doesn't do the things to the level that Crowder does, but he can still do some of those things, right? And it doesn't. There's no reason why he can't eventually grow into that as he gets older and gets some more experience. So, you know, I'm with you. I think Crowder could potentially be traded as the season progresses, uh, which is why I'm high on this next guy. You know, you call him my fiance, but I'm I'm high on him from a football perspective. And, you know, Frank, I, I get into fantasy football and I think the range of outcomes for, for Elijah Moore are very wide. And I think that the 
the more positive news that comes out of training camp or OTAs. Obviously, it's OTAs, but uh, for a rookie to make this kind of impact as early as he's made and for there to be so much smoke, that is way too much fire for me to just say that that does that means nothing. Um, Elijah Moore, to me, is is going to be everything I think we we think he could be for this offense. Um, so, you know, what what that means in terms of a production standpoint, I don't know, right? Because there's two, there's, I could see two things happening with Elijah Moore. I could see where Elijah Moore is just a starter out the gate and he's just producing from week one. Or I could see a scenario where Elijah Moore is progressively getting worked into this offense and progressively getting a role. So depending on how those two things happen, you know, there's a world where Elijah Moore is in the 500 yard receiving range. And there's a world where Elijah Moore is in like the 800, 900 yard receiving range where that falls. I'm not too sure, but definitely know that this guy will be involved. And I think he will probably be second on the team in targets. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's been this much buzz out of a rookie wide receiver since the Jets drafted Keyshawn in 1996. Like he just, the way that he carries himself, the way that he already acts like a pro, I, I think that's huge. Like you hear GM talk and coach talk about how they want guys that all they care about is football, but not just Elijah Moore, all the guys that they brought in the last couple of years, it seems to me that that's what they care about, that football above everything. And it's nice and refreshing to see the Jets hierarchy, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk also. Totally agree, man. And then you hear the kind of guy that Elijah Moore is, right? You know, we've heard the story, obviously saw the video with A.J. Brown and Elijah Moore. And, you know, he talked about the impact that Elijah Moore had on him and his life. And, you know, D.K. Metcalf had talked about that as well in, in the in the docuseries and flight and flight plan. Um, you know, this this guy is just a hard worker. He's a leader. He he works for everything that he's gotten in his life. And, um, you know, he's a he's a big believer in his faith. And I think that Elijah Moore's work ethic and his personality rubs off on people in a in a positive way. Um, and somebody I think that he's even impacting right now is Denzel Mims. Right. And, you know, I, I was watching an interview Denzel Mims did with uh, Eric Allen. So it was on the Jets website. So obviously be mindful of anything you watch from that comes directly from the Jets because they have an agenda. But anyway, Denzel Mims talked about Corey Davis and um, he was asked about Corey Davis and how he can help him. And he brought up Corey Davis, but then he also talked about Elijah Moore. Uh, And I think that that's important, right? Um, Denzel Mims bringing up Elijah Moore completely unprompted, but talking about the impact that those two guys have had on him thus far, being in the receiver room, the uh, the things that they've taught him just even, you know, just to this point. And so Denzel Mims, I know that people are getting, you know, bent out of shape about him. And we talked about it a little bit last week. And uh, I don't know, man, I'm just going to say it right now, man, I'm not worried about Denzel Mims. Like, I know people have talked about, you know, Keelan Cole will be a starter over him or will will get more reps over him. I think by the time camp comes and training camp comes and the pads come on, like, we got to remember the, t- the kind of player Denzel Mims is, right? Like, Denzel Mims is he's, – he's built in the Brandon Marshall uh, mold, in the, the DeAndre Hopkins mold, um, where he's a big physical receiver. He's not just physical at the catch point, but he's physical throughout the route. And I think that part is important to know as well. And so I'm not worried about Denzel Mims. Let me, let's see how we feel during training camp and then preseason. Uh, But I think he'll still have a role in this offense because his role as a vertical threat, as a vertical receiver in this offense, uh, somebody who can win contested jump balls down the field. I think that's going to be important for Zach Wilson in his rookie year. I think we also need to remember that he played in that air raid type of offense at at Baylor. And then he went to an Adam Gaze type of offense. And I don't think anyone really knows what offense Adam Gaze was running the past two years. Or even Does Adam Gaze know what offense he was running the last two years? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. <laughs> so he he went from Baylor, which is wide open spread, ball all over the place, to Adam Gase, where I changes all the time. Dow Logan's calling plays, and I'm Adam Gase was calling plays, and then Logan stopped calling plays. It was a total disaster last year, and it was hard for a rookie receiver that was hurt in training camp to gain any traction during that season. And now you got a brand new coaching staff, different terminology. So I think it's a little early to panic on Denzel Mims, but Denzel Mims plays the receiver like a bully out there. Like he's a man among boys. Like you compared him to Brandon Marshall. I see more of T.O. when I look at Denzel Mims, where he's going to go across the middle He's going to catch that pass, and he's going to go upfield, and he's going to make some plays. So time will tell to see what happens with Denzel Mims. I think he definitely has a role on this team. But, um, again, time will tell. We just can't panic from what we're seeing in uh, training camp or OTAs. Yeah, definitely. And I think everything in regards to – like how this receiving core breaks down is really going to come down to Jameson Crowder, right? Like how involved is he in the offense? Is he still on the roster? Cause he, he I mean, Jameson Crowder is too good of a player and he's too good at what he does to not ever see the field. Right. And not get targets. Right. So I think that's going to be key there. Uh, another guy who's impacted by James, not just Jameson Crowder, but I think he, kind of is the the main backup here for any of these receiver spots and that's Keelan Cole who was signed in free agency to a modest deal um a little bit older at 27 28 years old uh but Keelan Cole coming off a year in which um you know Jacksonville used him as a as a possession receiver a little bit uh had 642 yards on fi- on 55 catches on 88 targets had did have five receiving touchdowns also had a punt return for a touchdown if I'm not mistaken, um, Frank, how do you see Keelan Cole fitting into this offense? Well, first come first, I think he's probably going to be the main punt returner, him or Barrios, just because he has that tremendous frontline speed. And I think he's going to be that deep threat. But Keelan Cole's interesting because he's played both uh, the X position, the Z position. He's played in the slot. So it's really hard to tell how the Jets are going to use him, which which is kind of nice. I think the Jets are going to use uh, the receivers in all different types of ways, which should be able to keep the defense off balance when the Jets are passing the ball. Yeah, I mean, like you alluded to, he he's somebody that can play inside, can play outside. As a rookie for the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2017, had 748 yards on 42 catches. That's just that's just under 18 yards a catch at 17.8. Uh, so again, has this deep threat ability while also has experience having worked out of the slot like he did with, with Jacksonville last year. So um, like you said, we'll help out on special teams. I think he'll be the primary backup for all the receiver positions, you know, because I think him and Elijah Moore, maybe he's Elijah Moore's direct backup, right? Because Elijah Moore can play all of these receiver positions. And so, and obviously they're going to use him in in similar way or in ways where, um, you know, they get on the ball out of the backfield and they use them on jet sweeps and those push passes and things of that nature. So maybe Keelan Cole is the Elijah Moore backup, um, which again, I haven't seen a jets receiving core this deep, right? I mean, you talk about Braxton Berrios, right? He, he's like, Really, like, think about it. If if the Jets were going to say, oh, our starting three is is Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Jamison Crowder, they would have a backup for literally all three of those in Denzel Mims, Keelan Cole, and Braxton Berrios. And so I think that that part is really interesting. And, again, like we've talked about and like you heard Mike LaFleur talk about, if you watched the Jets' flight plan series – you want to build your receiving core like a basketball team. You don't want to necessarily have so many people uh, that are built the same way. You want guys with different skill sets so that you can attack defenses in different ways and attack different corners and different body types in different ways. So Frank Braxton Berrios, you know, he's one of your favorite guys. 
surprised you haven't proposed to him yet, but how how are you feeling about Braxton Berrios uh, as we head into 2021? Well, my dig was still better than yours, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like I I like Braxton Berrios when we when we got him because I just feel like that is the type of receiver that can break those those small passes off and take it to the house. That a receiver the Jets haven't had since Elijah Moore. Yeah. No, well, we had Barrios before, but I, I feel like, like he's not Elijah Moore, but he's like Elijah Moore light where he's dependable. He could catch all the passes. He's good in traffic. He's good at getting those both feet and bounds on those sideline passes. And he's a tough nosed football player, which the Jets haven't had a lot of in the last few years. Not since Brad Smith. Um, just kidding. of course we go there. <laughs> nah, man, but nah, Brax, Braxton Berrios, I think he's, uh, he's definitely a, a fit for this offense and he's definitely somebody that I think is, is a good backup to James Crowder. Um, let's move on to the tight end position, man. And so Chris Herndon, quite disappointing last year. Uh, he was my, he, <laughs> from a fantasy perspective, I expected big things from Chris Herndon. So Talking about him two weeks in a row is definitely uh, gives me heartburn, indigestion, a little bit of anxiety. But Chris Herndon last year, 31 catches, 287 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, That is a a long ways away from the 500 yards and five touchdowns that he had as a rookie when we all thought that he would be uh, a much better, uh, uh, you know, we expected big things from him as he continued his career with Sam Darnold, but obviously that has not transpired. It seems though that the Jets are giving him another chance. Um, sorry, he had four touchdowns as a rookie, not five. But it seems like the Jets are giving him another chance here. They didn't make a huge any huge investments at the tight end position. So, Frank, what are your thoughts and feelings for Chris Herndon as we head into 2021? Well, I'm still mad that. I listened to you and bought crazy amounts of share of Chris Herndon in all my fantasy leagues last year. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to tell with Chris Herndon if if he's not a good pass-catching tight end or, again, if Adam Gates just totally ruined his confidence and he just couldn't get it together. I still have hope that he could be a good receiver, but... But I just don't. I just don't know. I I, I would have rathered him, rather the Jets rather get a a prominent tight end in the draft. Hey man, you can't get mad at me for all the Chris Hernan shares, considering all the Terry McLaurin shares, all the Deontay Johnson shares, and so on and so forth that you had last year. So you can't get too. You forgot mad. Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson. So you can't get completely mad at me. But um. <laughs> No, man, back to Chris Herndon. That's a that's a shameless plug for the Fantasy Football Diagnostics podcast. So if you want to get on those years players this year, then get at me. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, Chris Herndon coming off the 500 yards as a rookie, definitely expected a lot, had a, a ton of bad luck the second year. The third year was just bad play. So is that on him? Is that on Adam Gase? We don't know. But the Jets are willing to bet that it was Adam Gase. And so if they're willing to bet that it was Adam Gase, I'm willing to bet that it was also Adam Gase. And so therefore, Chris Herndon, I'm excited for what he can potentially do on this offense, what he could potentially be for this team. And so, you know, he was someone that was pegged as a good run blocker and a good receiver as a rookie. And again, 500 yards, you don't just fall into 500 yards as a rookie, as a rookie tight end. I mean, maybe you do when there's no one else to throw the ball to, but um, they, you know, he will be able to, I think, make an impact this year with Zach Wilson. And then there was Ryan Griffin, who didn't have much of an impact last year, but had a a bigger impact the year before, as Chris Herndon was obviously um, out with, you know, suspension and then injury, uh, had 320 yards and five touchdown receptions. Um, 
don't know what really to expect from him this year. Do we do not understand? We do understand that this offense is going to be one that utilizes multiple tight ends. Uh, we probably will see a lot of 12 personnel. So what are your thoughts on Ryan Griffin and his potential impact, Frank? I don't like Ryan Griffin. I didn't like the re-signing of Ryan Griffin. I thought it was kind of a flash in a pan that season for him. Like he just doesn't move, move the needle for me. Uh, I'd I'd rather signed a true blocking tight end to help in the run game than spend that money on Ryan Griffin. Like when you talk about his production last year, he had nine catches for 86 yards and no touchdowns. Like I I think me and you could have done that last year. <laughs> like like I don't. I, what are we getting with him? I don't know. Yeah, no, I, you know San Fran like to use tight ends in their offense, so I don't know. Maybe Yaboa can be that tight end for us. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, this tight end group is a little uninspiring, right? Because uh, after Ryan Griffin, there's Tyler Croft, um, who you know 100 119 yards last year with Buff with Buffalo, three touchdowns. I mean that was in a limited role, but. I think he'll come here to a limited role as well. I don't see him playing any significant time as a starter. He was a 16-game starter for the Cincinnati Bengals back in 2017, uh, but that turned into 62 targets, 404 yards, and seven touchdowns. So, again, I mean, I'm not expecting much from Tyler Croft. Uh, you talked about Kenny Aboa. Um, he's a he's a rookie undrafted free agent. Uh, has Apparently hasn't showed all that much in, in camp. Um, been, has been a little disappointing, apparently, according to some of the beat writers there. So is, there's a question of whether he'll even make the team. Um, and then there's Daniel Brown, who has flashed. I, you know, I think um, he's athletic, uh, has good speed. He just, I think he's a former receiver. Or, you know, was a receiver at some point in his life. Um, but, but, uh, you know. Daniel Brown, definitely a guy that is more potential than actual production. So, Frank, what do you make of these three guys that I just talked about in Croft, Yaboa, and and Daniel Brown? What potential impact do they have? Can they push Herndon or Griffin for the tight end one spot? No, they can't push either of them. Uh, To me, they're special teams only players they'll be on pat protection punt protection maybe they could play on kickoff kick return but that's where i see them uh fitting in primarily yeah i agree Uh, those guys are probably not gonna make much of an impact but somebody who you and i anticipate to make a huge impact and this is probably the only place you will hear this is on the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast because we're crazy like that. Frank and I, we agree on one. We don't agree on a lot of things, but there's one thing we agree on. Frank is uh, he's he's re- redacting his previous statement about Michael Piran being the key to the <laughs> offense. And he is stepping on board with this with this take. That Trayvon Wesco, the tight end slash fullback slash ultimate weapon for the New York Jets, is the key to the Jets offense. Frank, listeners are probably hearing this and trying to ask, how does a a tight end with five career targets for three career catches and 52 career yards and zero touchdowns, how is he the key to the Jets offense? Yeah, so first things first, I'm retracting my most ridiculous statement that LaMichael P. Ryan was the key to the Jets' offense for this upcoming year. But I am very serious in that I believe Trayvon Wesco is the key to this offense. When the rumors were circulating that the Jets were trying to get Juice, Kyle, Juice check from... um, Sam Fran and have him come and play here. I thought that was key because the fullback position is key in this West Coast Shanahan type of offense. And you 
look at Wesco. He's 6'3", 267, maybe a, a little bit big for that traditional fullback role, but I think the Jets are going to use him in a whole bunch of different roles. LaFleur said it that, you know, he's not going to sugarcoat it. Wesco can't be that traditional fullback that Juice was. But there are things that Wesco can do that Juice can't. You're going to see him catching passes on those flare routes, maybe those wheel routes. You're going to not be able to just say, okay, he's just a fullback. He's just a blocking fullback. That's all he's going to do. You're going to have to bring a defender in and account for Wesco. So if you got Wesco on the field with Michael Carter, with Elijah Moore, with all the other types of receivers, it's going to be hard to defend the Jets' offense. Yeah, man, you call this the West Coast offense. I call it more like the West Coast offense, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, Tra- Trayvon. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, but you look at Trayvon Wesco, man, and I think you hit it perfectly, and I'll just add to it, right? Like, uh, Wesco, does, he has some, He does, like you said, he's able to do some things that, that Juice couldn't. And I think one of those things is line up as a traditional tight end and do some of the tight end things that, you know, that you would expect, like help out in the run game, blocking these defensive ends, um, you know, helping out in pass protection. And I think having Wesco as the fullback and the, you know, could what allows you more flexibility to now you can be in 21 personnel, which is two running backs and one tight end. And then you've got two receivers or you can go from that 21 personnel to 12 personnel. And now you just, it's one running back, two tight ends, and your two receivers. And I think that's going to give the Jets so much more flexibility, especially if you can unlock the receiving of Chris Herndon, right? Because I think that'll be, that'll, that should, those two have to go hand in hand, right? Like you can't go to this two tight end sets with just two two tight ends out there that are not going to, that are not going to be threats as pass catchers. I think you got to go to this, this two tight end set where Wesco's able to block and do a lot of this dirty work, but Herndon is able to, that's able to unlock Herndon a little bit as a receiver and as more of a move blocker and not like your traditional tight end. But then you're also able to go back to these sets where Wesco's your fullback and Herndon's your tight end and you're just running, you know, you can run outside zone using the fullback or you can run toss, you can run crack toss, you can run even a little bit of power if you want to. But I think that I think Wesco helps with the versatility of this offense. And he's fast enough to get out onto the edge to help with that wide zone running scheme that the Jets are primarily going to run. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that he could be a lead blocker coming off of those edge on those sweeps on the, those wide zone running schemes that the Shanahan offenses are known for. Yeah, man, and Wesco is a big boy, man. Like you said, he's six three, two sixty seven. But that was he was a little bit um a little chubby when he first got into the league. But he's been on an NFL lifting program these last couple of years. And if you've seen him, I, you know I you and I, Frank, we're nuts. Like we watch a lot of the stuff that the Jets put out, so I watch a lot of the videos and things. Wesco looks kind of he looks yoked, man. And so he's really done a lot of work to change his body, um, and he's done a lot of work to I think fit the many roles that the Jets are going to ask him to play. Yeah, I'm excited to see how this offense develops. I'm so glad there's going to be actually preseason games so this Jets team can gel. I think that hurt a lot of the rookies that the Jets brought in last year because Joe Douglas is known for bringing in trait guys instead of guys that had already maybe had that high ceiling in college or had that high ceiling in in the pros already he wants to bring guys that he feels that could break through that quote-unquote glass ceiling yeah definitely definitely um let's move on man don't want to take up too much time we spent so much time talking about the secret weapon uh in the west coast offense um we have to talk about now flight plan 2021 frank and before we get to takeaways man the one thing i do want to say and then I'm going to ask you, Frank, what you thought, what your overall thoughts were before we jump into takeaways. But the one thing we got to say, we got to preface, this is a Jets, con- like this is Jets content, right? This was put out, it was shot, produced by the New York Jets. 
So they're showing you the things they want you to see, right? They're trying to get you to look at it through the lens of a fan, which we are fans of, right? That doesn't mean there, there wasn't any useful information in it. That doesn't mean there wasn't anything we can learn. It's just we didn't see everything, right? Like there were probably scouts in there that that preferred a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance over a Zach Wilson. We weren't, we didn't see those conversations, right? And they, the Jets weren't going to show that to us. So let's be mindful of that. But that being said, I think there was a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, I I personally thought that it was great. Uh, I thought that you know there was a, I thought that we learned a lot not just about the the players that they were that they were that they drafted. We learned a lot about the coaching staff and and the and the the front office as well and just the, how this overall scouting process. So Frank, what are what were your thoughts of the um, of the series and and how what did you think? I thought it, I I thought they did a really good job. I think the Jets media department in the past six months has done a a really, really good job, you know, from Woody Johnson's tweets to what the Jets official Twitter accounts putting out to to this docuseries that the Jets put out. I feel like they know that they have to get the Jets fans more engaged because of how bad the team has performed this past decade. And I think they did a solid job in that department. Yeah, I mean, this thing was really well shot. It was really well put together. And you could just tell there was a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of effort that was put into this thing. And so definitely appreciative of that as a fan to be able to get this this look into the team, into one of our – into our favorite team. So that's been awesome. Um, But let's jump into it, man. Two biggest takeaways. Uh, I guess I'll go with mine first. And I kind of talked about it a little bit was you could see the front office and the coaching staff um, and how they work together. And I thought it was important because we we heard about we hear about culture and we hear about synergy and we hear about the teamwork. And, you know, you know, we heard that Todd Bowles and Mike McCagney communicated well. We heard that Joe Douglas and Adam Gase communicated well. We heard that, you know, you know, and then we heard that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas communicated well. But to actually see it live, see it as it was happening, um, see how the coaching staff and the front office are working together to build this team. And you could see the scouts, they went from scouting for the previous coaching staff to scouting for this coaching staff. And the fact that they were able to say, oh, in this coaching staff, you know, under this coaching staff, we see guys like Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasruddin as safety as, as linebackers, even though they were safeties in college, but this is what this coaching staff wants. They want, you know, long linebackers, you know, big, long athletic linebackers. And so, you know, just using that as an example, the fact that they were able to go out and find different players to fit the different roles that are asked of each position within this, this scheme on both sides of the ball. I think that that was huge. Yeah, I thought that was huge also. I really enjoyed listening to Ulbrich and Sala when they talked about how they they target trait guys rather than guys that maybe do things well. Like how if a guy needs to have an elite, if he has an elite trait, he'll be able to coach him up and make him into elite defensive player. And and how that transpired to the scouting side of it and how this scouting side had to transition from an Adam Gaze coach team to a Robert Sala coach team. And with the whole pandemic, you know, you had guys like Savage and and Hogan with all these years of experience, how they had to use those years of experience to call the coaches because they couldn't go to spring practices. There were only a limited number of games. You know, they couldn't get that real in-depth talk to the players after practice to get that feel for not just the player that that kid is, but also the person, which is very important for this team going forward. Yeah. And back to the elite trait thing, I thought it was really cool to see Robert Sala, you know, you could really see that leadership kind of that leadership quality in him kind of take over in that moment when he's, he's like, you know, guys, when you go out and look for a player, right? Like, and we're doing these, like character and football IQ, like those things shouldn't be considered traits, right? Those are just, those are parts of the player, right? 
but what is that one elite trait that they have that when they show up on a football field, when they show up at, at practice, they show up at OTAs that you're like, oh yeah, okay, like I can see that, right? Like I could see exactly what it is, whether it's ball skills, whether it's movement skills, like whatever it may be, like what is that one elite trait? So I thought that was huge. Frank, what is what is uh, your first big takeaway, man? Well, my first big takeaway is how good Joe Douglas is as a scout. It was really cool to watch at the like that last clip of him breaking down Vera Tucker. And you could see that Vera Tucker is a little out of position. His hand placement's not good. And you could see how excited Joe Douglas gets about him finishing off that block, knowing that his hand placement's not perfect, that his feet are a little bit too wide apart. That was really cool to see. Yeah, I think that was really cool, right? Like, we hear about Joe Douglas and, like, the scout he is. And, like, to, I think to us as – I mean, I, I could I speak for myself here. Like, I to me, it was always just, like, a myth. Like, I, like you never really see Joe Douglas in action. But to see him in that moment break down a player and to see how his brain works, where some people might look at that and be like, oh, that's terrible technique. Like, I don't want an offensive lineman like that. But – you know, Joe Douglas is a scout, right? He's looking for traits. He's looking for ability. Like his, his job is to bring you the player. Your job as a coach is to coach him up. So he's like, hey, this guy goes into Godzilla mode. There's not many there's not many people on this planet that can do what this guy just did. And so I think as a part of the coaching staff to get them coached up, man. So I think that's that's great. My, my second big takeaway, and uh, I've talked about it before, because the Jets have talked about it um, in, in, their, in terms of their use of analytics. Um, but to see them throughout the draft process, to really talk about that, to see that the, the Brian Shields, I believe his name was, he's the director of analytics for the New York Jets scouting department, to see the voice that he has in the room, um, you know, and the fact that every time they would go around the room, which I think, I think it was Rex Hogan, he'd ask, you know, hey, what was the, you know, Brian, what did the analytics have to say? And, they, you know, it was a huge part of the process when they talked about uh, Zach Wilson. It was a huge part of the process when they talked about Elijah Barrett Tucker. Uh, and I believe it was a huge part of the process when they talked about Elijah Moore. Well, it was definitely a huge part of the process when Elijah Moore, I think it was part of the process with Elijah Barrett Tucker. But um, either way, like the fact that 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 analytics has that big of a room, a big of a voice in the scouting department just kind of tells you because the scout, the scouting department is almost everything, right? Like, you know, so if they're using the analytics there, that's, and you know, they've obviously alluded to using it on game day and different things. Like, I think it's huge, 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 huge to have, you know, obviously me being coming from a numbers world and, and with the stuff I do for fantasy football and, and really liking analytics and the use of analytics. And I think the smart teams in football use analytics and to see the jets being one of those teams is gets me really excited. Yeah. It's nice to see the jets finally coming out of the stone age. But for me, which was really cool is that how high they were on Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, how, you know, you saw that they were going around the room. Can we get Elijah Vera Tucker at 23 and the whole room said no there's no chance so they move move up with the vikings they draft him and they at that point they thought that they lost out on elijah moore and they turn around in the second round and they draft elijah moore and then they thought for sure that michael carter was going to be gone but then the third round goes the fourth round comes to the jets and they draft michael carter and how excited that 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 collective room was that they got three guys that Two of them they thought were probably top 15 talents. And the other guy that they thought was a third-round talent that's really going to help this offense, help this team. And, you know, Elijah Moore is that prototypical football player, good teammate, going to lift his players up. That is what Sal has been preaching, that it's not going to be just Zach Wilson here, the savior. It's going to be all 53 guys pulling the rope in the same direction, making the Jets a contender once again. Totally agree, man. I mean, because, again, we heard them say after the draft, oh, we had Elijah Vera Tucker in our top 10, or, you know, we 
we would have taken Elijah Moore at 23 or, you know, we really wanted Michael Carter at 66 or, you know, 86, whichever pick it would have been that they would have taken him. But to hear them say it real time then, right? Like, like you alluded to like, Oh, can we get Elijah Vera Tucker at 23? And everyone's like, no, there's no way we're going to get him at 23. And they're like, okay, so if we want him, we're going to have to move up. And the fact that they move up, you know, show like again obviously that shows it but the fact that then they're saying like you know brian shields the athletic the analytics guy says that he has they have elijah moore in the analytics department as the 16th best player in the draft and the fact that he was in consideration for them at 23 and then saying how much they love him and you've got this scout saying you know in all my years of scouting granted it was only 10 years of scouting but he's like in all my years of scouting elijah moore is the best wide receiver pro day i've ever been to like those things weren't said after the draft. It wasn't said after they drafted Elijah Moore. All these things were said during the draft process, before they drafted him. And so, look, who knows? Maybe there was something said about a player that the Jets didn't get, right? And obviously, we don't know that, right? So, but we have Phil. We we know what they've said about Elijah Moore. We know that one of the scouts, uh, I think it was John Carr. Oh no, I think it was Chad Alexander who said that. Um, Michael Carter was his favorite player in the draft. And he said that he thinks he's a guy with three down ability. Um, and you know, that, that he's dynamic and shifty and all of these things, like, again, not saying it after the draft, saying it before the draft in the meeting rooms. I think those things are important for sure. Yeah. Like you said before, obviously this is a Jets run docuseries. So there, I'm sure there were guys that there were scouts banging the table for that the Jets didn't, didn't get. But it's good to see that guys that the Jets did select that they were thought highly of by not by not just the scouting side of uh, the football, but the Atlantic, the analytics side of the football, the coaching staff to see the synergy between the coaching staff and the front office, how how they all talk to each other about the type of players that are going to fit into this offense defense and special teams it was really good to see that because we went from McCagnan who didn't want his scouts or he didn't want his coaches influencing his scouts decisions which I always thought was ludicrous yeah I mean and he wasn't even working with Adam Gase when that was a rule so that was uh pretty crazy I wouldn't want Adam Gase influencing my scouts either but anyway um Nah, man, this this docuseries was really great, man. It was it was really it was really cool to see again. Like we said, very jet centric. The Jets are going to show you what they want to show you. But if you're a fan of the Jets, which if you're listening to this podcast, pretty sure you're a Jets fan. But if you're a fan of the Jets, you will definitely want to listen or definitely want to watch this docuseries. I think each episode ran for like somewhere between 26 to 34 minutes. Um, it was just about a little over two hours to watch the whole thing. I know Frank and I watched it like I know I watched I didn't even I forgot that it had come out. And so the morning that it did come out, I watched like the whole thing that morning on my my morning walk that I usually take. Um, and I know, Frank, you finished it like within that same day as well. So we 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 ate it up real quick, man. But um, definitely excited for the season. Definitely excited as we get closer, these things that are happening um, with the Jets and the news, the positivity that is surrounding the organization right now. Um, So obviously we're off next week, but we will be back the week after. And Frank, I think we're talking about your favorite position group, and that's the offensive line. So going to be talking some Morgan Moses, going to be talking some Elijah Barrett Tucker and Makai Becton, going to talk some Cam Clark. But you want to hear the rest of it, you're definitely going to have to come back and check it out. That will be episode 11. Frank, you said you look like you want to say something. What is up, brother? I am so amped about that. I was <laughs> fighting with you this week. I know I lost out to John because of his fantasy football background, and he was amped to talk about all these wide receivers. But I cannot wait to talk about the big uglies. Yes, sir, man. The big uglies for sure. Look, man, I'm excited to talk about them, too, because without them, there is no fantasy production. There are no fantasy points. So big uglies get to work. We appreciate y'all. But if you want to hear about that one, that'll be next week, episode or not next week, two weeks from now, episode 11. So 
make sure you come kick it with us at the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast. And everybody, appreciate you so much for taking the time to listen. Make sure you're subbed to the podcast, uh, wherever it is that you're listening to us right now. And make sure you check us out on Twitter. I'm at JR Football Nerd. Frank is at Frankie Bots and uh, with the Z, Frankie Bots with a Z. And then also check out our Twitter account, Liftoff underscore NYJ. For all the latest news as it pertains to us, what we're doing in the podcast, and what you when you can catch the latest episodes. Until next time, we're out of here, and we'll catch y'all later. Peace. Thanks, everybody.